welcome to episode 17 of the Penscast. Today is July 17th. What are the odds? Thank you for joining me. Um, Lucas Wester here with you as always, but not alone. We'll get to that in a moment. It is July 17th. There has not been much Penguins news to report to you. Um, So I decided to do something a little different, something a little exciting, and something I had a lot of lot of fun doing, and I hope you uh, enjoy listening to it as much as I did uh, recording it. So I think I mentioned this before um, at some point in my podcast history, but I was actually fortunate enough during the most, most recent spring semester to intern with the Penguins Radio Network as a, um, a production intern. I, I learned the ins and outs of, you know, doing radio production for uh the Penguins hockey, uh, including pregame, postgame shows, all that stuff. I, I, I had a uh, voiceover commercial once, all that fun stuff. In doing that, I, um, I met some great people. And uh, if you've been following the podcast for a while now, you may remember, I think it was the first episode uh, following the regular season, I had Brian Metzer on. And Brian Metzer was is obviously a member of Penguins Radio Network. He does the postgame shows um, from the studio for the home games. And then, oh, sorry, for the away games studio for the home games we recorded at uh, the Lexus Club at PBG Paints Arena. Now, there's another guy who does Penguins Live postgame show, another another legend who does Penguins postgame. But this guy, he does pre, post. He's also been the TV play-by-play guy. He's also been the director of marketing for the team. He's also been the color commentator for TV and radio alongside Mike Lang. You may know who I'm talking about at this point, but in case you don't, Paul Steigerwald was somebody that I met during my internship. Um, And for anyone who's my age, who is a Penguins fan, the voice of Penguins hockey is Paul Steigerwald. Um, Obviously, Mike Lang has uh, the claim to that for basically every generation prior. But for people that were my age growing up, Penguin fans in Pittsburgh, who got uh, FSN, who got Root Sports, um, now it's AT&T Sportsnet. But at that time, the voice of Penguins hockey that you tune into on your television was Paul Steigerwald. And... uh, uh, that's the first voice I remember hearing for Penguins games. All the notorious goal calls that I remember growing up. He scores! All staggy. And I was fortunate enough to um, obviously get to know him a little bit by doing this internship. And he was gracious enough to accept an invitation to come on and talk with me for about 40 minutes. Uh, we talked about everything that's happened this offseason for the Penguins. Eventually, I'd love to have him on again at some point, and we can, whenever there's not as much news to catch up on, and I'd love to just sit and talk with him about the past and Penguins history, because he is a walking, you know, encyclopedia for Penguins history. He's been there for decades of it. I think he's up, on, up like almost at five decades now. I remember he was uh, the director of marketing back in the eighties. Um, just a, just a storied individual who uh, I was fortunate enough to get to know and work with, 
and he was very very gracious with his time and I, he you know sat through ta- talking with me for 40 minutes to talk hockey uh it was a great conversation we had together um and we talked about everything from the uh the, hi- the hiring of kyle dubas and the firing of uh Hextall and burke and then we talked to eric carlson stuff which that was really uh insightful i loved uh, talking with that about him um free agency you know ryan graves the depth guys that the penguins signed um to the tristan jari situation and obviously uh he signed a big deal i wanted staggy's perspective on that because that's a pretty big deal a pretty big investment in a goaltender who doesn't have the full confidence of the fan base and the organization behind him or maybe the organization but definitely not the fan base the fan base seems pretty uh split on him at least right now wait until he wins us a cup then then we'll see um but yes that so in a moment i'm going to play that interview um where I, it's it's not even an interview just it's just staggy and i talking for talk about hockey for 40 minutes um and like i said i really appreciate his time coming on i really enjoyed it on this monday morning talking some hockey with one of the best hockey minds uh i was gonna say in the city but honestly in the sport staggy uh has been around the game and he helped promote the game uh in a in a work level as being the director of marketing but also just what he does and what he has done throughout his entire career has helped spread hockey in pittsburgh uh so you know just fantastic individual i love uh, loved working with him and i'd love to have him back on at some point so we could talk about some of those old stories because he is he has stories about the penguins organization from all the way back with mario lemieux and yarmir yager to uh obviously he has uh access like few like few do uh, he talks with all these players and he actually mentions in this uh in this conversation that he was i think uh next week or the week after some I think early august he said he was going to sit down with kyle dubas so that's the person we're dealing with, you know. Um, but yes, I'm gonna p- get to that right now. Um, and I'm gonna play the the DraftKings ad first, real quick, get that out of the way. But then, please stay tuned because this is probably, I think, in my opinion, the best episode of Penn's Cast I've ever I've ever had. No disrespect to uh, whenever uh, Mets came on, or uh, even when Mason came on, or all the ones I'm sitting by myself in my uh, at my desk, but. To be honest with you, this is the one I was most excited for. Very happy that I got to, we got to make it work. And um, yeah, we're going to get to it right now. But first, let's play the DraftKings. And then it's Lucas Wester, Paul Steigerwald on episode 17 of the Pennscast. Stay here. New customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, in West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. 
All games regulated by West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In partnership with Hollywood Casino and Charlestown Races in Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 plus in most states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after assurance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50. 10-plus leg parlay required for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. I would now like to welcome to the Pens cast one of the most legendary names in Penguins franchise history. He was once the director of marketing for the team. He worked alongside Mike Lang for years as his right-hand man on broadcasts. For most of my life, he was the voice, uh, play-by-play voice for Penguins hockey. These days, you can find him on Penguins radio network for Penguins live pre- and post-game shows. He's the man who helped introduce the game of hockey to many Pittsburghers. He's the great Paul Steigerwald. Staggy, thank you so much for doing this. How are you today? I'm fine, Luke. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I, I Like I said beforehand, I wanted to talk about some things that have happened since we last spoke. Um, season ended about three months ago, and a lot's happened that's changed the team since then. Uh, most notably, right at the end of the season, we'll go in chronological order here. Uh, April 14th, Penguins fired general manager Ron Hextall and president of Hockey Ops Brian Burke. Uh, then on June 1st, finally, the Penguins would hire their leader. They hired president of Hockey Ops, Kyle Dubas. Still no GM, though, quite yet. We're not sure if we're going to get one. What are your thoughts on that whole process? How do you like the, the hiring of Dubas? And uh, do you think we're going to get a GM here? <clears throat> I actually think he'll probably wait a while before he does the GM thing. It wouldn't surprise me if he elevates Jason Spezza to that job after a while. Um, I don't see any reason why he would hire one right now. He's finally got a chance to kind of be the guy where he doesn't have somebody looking over his shoulder like he did in Toronto with Brandon Shanahan. He's only 37. Seems like to me, he would want to be that guy for a while longer to actually, you know, sort of chart the course of the Penguins uh, in these early days. And then once he has the the club looking the way he wants it, then he would put a, a GM in charge to kind of take the ship from there. That's the feeling I have. I don't know if that's exactly what he's going to do. I'm going to get a chance to interview him in front of all the partners at the Lexus club on August 3rd. So I'll have a chance to kind of dig into that a little bit with him. I think it's a great hire though, because, you know, you think about it. I mean, the Penguins have had a lot of guys who were kind of old school in that job for over the years. And uh, to get a younger guy who's forward thinking, I think is uh, refreshing. Um, he doesn't have that NHL experience prior to his Toronto experience that a lot of GMs did. If you think about it, those guys played in the league. Uh, maybe they were scouts before they became GMs, that kind of thing. Whereas he, you know, went from junior to the Leafs and now he's with the Penguins. So his path is different, but that doesn't make it a bad path. I think in some ways, uh, I like the fact that it's different. Um, the question will be whether or not uh, he is able to really do the things he would like to do under the circumstances with the big three aging the way they are and the fact that you're kind of on the precipice of what would be a transition to a whole new era. So it's kind of the thing, a juggling act that he's doing right now. So I think that's the big test for him, but I do think he's up to the task. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and he's kind of has a similar, he's been put in a similar position as uh, Hextall was where he kind of needs to do both things at once where you need to stay competing, but also you need to be ready to transition that. Um, and one thing I, in the short time I worked with you uh, that I, I learned about you and I learned to love was that regardless of how deep your affiliation is for the team, you're willing to state your opinion. And I, I, I want I want an honest uh, some honesty here from you on June 1st, whenever they finally did announce that hiring. Were there any reservations you had about that? Um, only in the sense that. I was concerned that how you sell it to the fans, given the fact that the Leafs had issues making the playoffs and then winning in the playoffs. So um, mostly winning in the playoffs. So he finally won a round. But I felt like when you have the caliber of players that the Leafs had, it seems to me it should have been easier for them to kind of put a dynasty together, if you will. If not a dynasty, at least a team that would win a few rounds and really challenge for a Stanley Cup. So that was kind of disappointing. And uh, sometimes that's not the GM's fault. Uh, it may be just an organizational thing. And I, I I wondered about how much Brendan Shanahan had to do with the decisions that Kyle Dubas made or uh, whether or not uh, there was just a, a general tendency in that organization to, as Mark Madden once put it, collect hockey cards uh, you know, when you have a guy like John Tavares making $11 million, and then you have Austin Matthews and now you're trying to sign Nylander and you've got Mitch Marner and you've got all these guys making ridiculous amounts of money, and how do you build a team with that? And to me, getting Tavares seemed like a really su superfluous move. Um, and I don't know why they did that, but I, I have a feeling a lot of it has to do just with the history of the Leafs always wanting to get that big name or you know, they can't help themselves, even in the salary cap era. And I, I think in that respect, I was a little suspicious of, you know, what the decision-making processes were and why they did that. So um, on the other hand, now that I've listened to Kyle Dubas talk and I've uh, seen how he's operated things since he took over the Penguins, uh, he looks to be a guy who really is collaborative, which I really like. I don't like guys who are in their own silo and have their own sort of beliefs and they're not uh at all flexible he he would seem to be a guy who'd be willing to listen to others around him and rely on the people around him to to make decisions which i think is really admirable and i think it's really necessary definitely yeah and i think the word you used uh refreshing was something that a lot of penguins fans felt i know i felt uh, after hearing him talk for the first few times at his press conferences definitely uh, a, a younger, reassuring guy that uh, it's, it, it is a breath of fresh air for the organization, I think, 100%. Now, you mentioned the John Tavares situation with, in Toronto, and I think that kind of relates to something that's happening now here in Pittsburgh. Some different circumstances, but still. In his first offseason as general manager in Toronto, he made that big move. He got the big center, spent a lot of money to go get John Tavares in free agency. Now, it seems like he has the opportunity to go out and make a big splash the biggest splash that he's ever done uh, in an Eric Carlson move. There's a lot of smoke around that. People have talked about it being between Pittsburgh and Carolina. I know I'm jumping around a little bit chronologically, but no problem. But, but since since it uh, it's being brought up here, what are your thoughts on the potential of that? Do you think it's possible, and do you think it's a good idea? Yes, and yes. Um, All right. I think it's a time for the Penguins to to kind of take a make a move that would 
really kind of spark the team and give them a sense of hope that they could go to another level or do something they haven't done in the last few years. And I think Eric Carlson could give them that. Um, when you get a player like that in your room, it, it makes everybody kind of perk up. I, I think, you know, on the ice, he would make a difference in terms of igniting the Penguins' offense, helping the power play. That would be huge. And, you know, I, I think the fans would love it. So I, in that respect, I think it does bring a lot of excitement to the team. Um, as, as for how he would do it, I mean, if you think about it, he makes $11.5 million. Jeff Petrie makes six and a half. So if you move Jeff Petrie for Carlson, you've added five million to your payroll, but you have Mikhail Granlund making five million. You could conceivably buy him out. Now you're down to eight thirty-three that you've got to pay him. So you could maybe find that eight thirty-three somewhere else to afford the addition of Eric Carlson. And not to mention the fact that maybe in that deal you might have to move another player who makes X amount of money. So it seems to me from a salary cap standpoint, you could do it. Now I realize that that 833 on the Grandland thing is only for one year and then it goes up. But then by then, after you've had Carlson for a year, you might figure out another way to, uh, to, to work your salary cap. Plus it's supposed to go up. So it doesn't seem that far fetched to me when you start looking at the numbers from that respect. And I do think uh, that uh, Jeff Petrie would obviously go. One thing you always want to look for in a deal, when a trade is made, you always want to look for what that team is giving up on their depth chart because most likely their GM is going to want a player back who fills that void. Uh, I've seen it on many occasions where trades are made. I give up a center as part of my deal. I got to get a center back. Uh, those GMs all have depth charts on their walls in their offices, and they like to keep them filled. Uh, so when you make a deal, often you want something back. And Petrie's the perfect guy to get back because he's a right-hand shot. He's a guy with a little offensive flair. He's experienced, and he would probably play well in San Jose. And it's in the Penguins' DNA to go after those superstars. You know, like even not like through draft, obviously, we've been blessed with generational talent. But through the years, through the dynasty Lemieux years, if you want to call it that, the back-to-back, or even uh, recently, uh, or I think er- more early in the uh, in Crosby's era, uh, but even if you look at getting like a guy like Kessel, they've always found the complementary stars to f- to fill out around the core generational guys. So it makes sense in that regard to me. Um, but the one problem I have had a problem trying to figure out how it worked because we saw how Carlson worked as playing kind of like a one A one B situation on like being the other quarterback of the power play with Brent Burns in San Jose. That situation makes me think Carolina really shouldn't be in it because they also have Brent Burns. But is there a part of you that wonders how it's going to work having Chris Letang and Eric Carlson on the same team when they play a similar role? Not completely because uh, I, I think Chris Letang uh, has to realize that that Eric Carlson's in a different category. Uh, he's a guy who puts up boxcar numbers, potentially. Uh, you know, Latang has never scored more than 15 goals, I think. Maybe 18 is the highest. I'm not sure. But uh, Carlson is a guy who scored 25 and actually on the Penguins could score 30, I think. Uh, so when you're getting a guy, a 100-point guy like that, uh, he's in a different category. And I think Latang's intelligent enough to realize that this isn't like going out and getting uh, Jeff Petrie, you know, to challenge for the top power play spot. This is a different thing altogether. And I think Chris Letang would actually welcome the opportunity to have somebody to take some of the pressure off of him uh, and I'll, and maybe allow him to 
concentrate a little bit more on just being a good, solid two-way defenseman and, you know, playing as best hockey he can play at this stage of his career. So I think it could be a collaborative thing, too, because I can see Latang maybe playing on the left side on the power play in that half wall. Um, and if he did that, you'd have two defensemen on the ice, which would mean a forward would have to come out. But that forward who would come out would not be Crosby or Malkin. So I, I would I could see that power play being pretty prolific. Yeah, the, the potential's there to have four future Hall of Famers on one power play unit. I don't know if that's happened in <laughs> at least like the last like two decades. Um, but that's that's a pretty nice potential uh, add there. And I'm I've been on board for it too. It's just hard for me to conceive how it can happen and make it fit with Latang. But you're you reassured me there a little bit, so I appreciate that. The only um, difference is that uh, well, see, I can see Latang playing down low and kind of that half wall position on the power play. And if you think about it. If you still have uh, Gensel, Crosby, Malkin, Carlson, Latang, that's a pretty good combination. And Latang basically replaces either Rust or Raquel, who would have played there if, if Carlson weren't there. So you have a situation where actually you might be able to get more out of Latang as a trigger man on that left side and a guy who kind of you know feeds the puck from over there the way Kessel did. Uh, and, and then he, he has the ability to finish. Latang, I think, has always underachieved in terms of his goal scoring. I don't think he's been hungry enough to score goals in his career, or at least as hungry as he could have been. And I believe that if he were in that position, he might be more prone to shoot the puck and actually score goals. Now, one last thing on Carlson, and then we'll move on, go back chronologically. Um, I, there's been, you know, rumor, rumor. We don't really know. We heard that there was a deal that was close on July 1st to, for Eric Carlson. Uh, I think Josh Yoey may have uh, written that. And uh, now I'm, I, I'm not asking you to divulge any sources or anything. But can, do you have like an idea of an odds? What would you put the odds at that this deal actually comes through and Carlson is a penguin on day one? I think they're pretty good. I actually, I don't know what what numbers I would put on it, but I would say there's a, maybe a 75% chance it could happen. I like that's a that. pretty good. That's a pretty good chance. I mean, it's not 90%, but uh, it seems like sort of leaning to me. The thing that I totally disagree with other than the Brent Burns aspect is this thing about Carlson hating the way Carolina plays. That's the most ridiculous thing. If these people, who, and these are smart people who, who watch hockey a lot. They they act as if the Penguins and the Carolina Hurricanes are playing two different sports. I mean, right. Carolina's playing the game the way the Penguins want to play it. The mm. difference is that the Penguins have more firepower. I, I've always thought the Canes the last few years needed one more dynamic offensive player to get them over the top. And the way they play is the way Mike Sullivan wants to play. I mean, they control the puck. They keep it in the offensive zone. They shoot the puck. They, uh, you know, they dominate in terms of possession. All the analytics are always there for Carolina. The only thing they're missing is their ability to put the puck in the net. So, and I was, and they do that enough to win a lot of games. But maybe in the playoffs, just having that one more, you know, dynamic offensive player. And I think Carlson could be that guy. I mean, I think he could trigger their offense uh, in a way that even Brent Burns can't do. So um, he's he's almost like a fourth forward on the ice. So this notion that he wouldn't fit there doesn't make sense to me. I could definitely see the appeal because if you watch that that uh, Eastern Conference final, 
that was that was the issue is they couldn't they couldn't get the puck in the net net and the, their best offensive guys Svechnikov and Pacioretty the guys with the potent offensive ability weren't there. So if you get a guy like Carlson, it makes sense in that regard. I, I understand why they'd want to do that. It's just that if you, uh, when I was looking at the numbers, because I actually did a, a article or two about this whole situation, the the, uh, the offensive stats for the two Burns and Carlson, whenever they were together, it, they did go down dramatically. So I could see from a personal aspect why they wouldn't want to, you know, have to share uh, like power play duty and whatnot. But if you're the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, I don't think you care very much because you have both of those guys that provide the offensive potency and they'll be able to get on the power play and I, like they'll, they could run the East. I think if they get Carlson, honestly, um, I'm, I'm let's, I'm, I'm going to move on from Carlson. There's a few other things I wanted to talk to you about um, on draft day earlier. Uh, they, the Penguins acquire Riley Smith, which basically signed the, uh, the, the plane ticket out for Jason Zucker uh, everyone kind of assumed that Smith is going to slot in right there on that uh, second line left side. What are your thoughts on Riley Smith coming in and also losing Jason Zucker? Well, he's the perfect guy for Mike Sullivan. You know, he's, he's versatile. He can play either wing. He kills penalties. He can play on the power play. Uh, he's, you know, he has a, a, a grit factor that I think the Penguins were lacking. Obviously, Zucker brought that, but uh, but Riley Smith will bring that too. Um, you know, the experience of having recently won, I think really helps. So there's nothing not to like about getting him. I, I always liked him. Even when he was in Florida, I thought he was a good player. He's kind of dangerous. He's one of these guys that, uh, in games where maybe it's a little bit rougher or a little bit more like playoff style, if you will, I think he can rise to the occasion. He, he seems to be that kind of a player. So Penguins need more of that. And I think he'll bring a, also a, a level of credibility and a little swagger to the room that the Penguins could use. And, and now after seeing what Zucker got in Arizona, which I think was one year, 5.3, do you think that Smith was like, it's cheaper. He's only making 5 million instead of the 5.3. Do you think it was the right move to move off of Zucker? Or do you think that there could have been a possibility there where they could have kept him? That's a good question. Um, I wonder if they didn't really know what Zucker was going to get. Like, I think maybe Zucker was uh, a mystery at that point when they made the deal. And they didn't want to take the chance maybe of losing Zucker to another team and not being able to make that deal to get Riley Smith. So with Zucker deciding to move on, and I would guess that uh, they must have had some conversations about what he was expecting uh, from his new contract. And maybe Zucker ended up settling for one year when really he was hoping to get more. But at the time that the Penguins made the deal for Riley Smith, they couldn't afford to wait. That makes sense. Yeah. And a lot of the projections I was looking at had him at like five and a half million for like three, four, <clears throat> like maybe even five years. So right. I, I think they they got a discount uh going from the Zook going from what they projected Zucker to be to getting Riley Smith. I, I agree with that. And they got uh, more versatility too, because Zucker doesn't kill penalties and he doesn't play right wing. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm a big fan of that deal. And also just the asset management because they traded the uh, third round pick that they got for Bluger to get Riley Smith. So, I mean, that's a, if you look at it from that way, that's, that's good value. That's great value for uh, uh, Kyle Dubas's first trade there. Now, later in the day, later in the day, the Penguins drafted Braden Yeager, a center from, uh, where was he from again? It was, was it the Moose Jaw Warriors, I believe. Yes. Yes. Um, there's a couple other guys that were projected to go a little higher that uh, 
that when went after Jaeger, Matthew Wood was one, Colby Barlow, Oliver Moore, uh, Gabe Perot. Obviously, a lot of these, there's not a ton of information out there other than what these guys have done at the junior level. We have no idea what they're going to uh, end up being in the professional level. But with Dubas's first pick, uh, he seemed to really like this Jaeger guy. From what you've seen and what you've heard, what do you think about that pick of Braden Jaeger at 14th overall? I thought it was a really nice pick. I kind of wanted them to take Oliver Moore um, or maybe the big kid would. Matthew would because of his size and just the fact that he would have brought a different element to the Penguins that they've been lacking. But um, Jaeger is a centerman. Uh, I met him. He's a smallish player. He doesn't look a whole lot bigger than Jake Gensel. He's 18, though, so I would hope they grow. But I looked at just his frame. His shoulders are not wide. So he's definitely a smallish player in terms of his body shape and, uh, and type. Um, on the other hand, he is incredibly strong at shooting the puck. He has a great release. Uh, he kind of shoots the puck like Kessel, where he leans on his right skate. And he really, he's very accurate with his shots, and he's a quick release. I saw him in the camp. You know, when he got in tight on the goalies, he, he snapped it real quickly past them. So he's got that natural goal scorer's release. Um, he's a very conscientious player. He talks about playing a 200-foot game and how he really wants to concentrate on that and be good on faceoffs. So he, he has all the trappings from an intelligence point of view of being a guy uh, who I think could be productive. My biggest question mark with him is going to be his size and maybe his physicality. You know, he won a sportsman-like uh, award in, in Western in the Western Hockey League. Uh, he, very few penalty minutes. So he's not a player who's going to be an agitating type of player or anything like that. That doesn't mean that he can't handle you know himself out there, but I, he, he just impresses me as a guy who's going to be a very skilled, high hockey hockey IQ uh, player who also can finish. So in that respect, I think he's a he's a very nice pick, and I think he will play in the NHL. You know, you see guys sometimes, and you you aren't sure. Like I'm not sure about Wood. You know, I, I'd like to think he's going to grow into an N- be an NHL player, but you know, I haven't seen him play. I've seen you know some video of him. Can he skate? You know, for that, a guy that big, sometimes those big guys. When they get to the NHL, they don't skate as well. So I'm not sure about him. I know Oliver Moore can. He was the fastest guy in the draft, and I was really intrigued by him. But how much can he finish? I don't know. And is he a true centerman? You know, things like that. You don't know those things at this point. But Jaeger looks like a true NHL centerman, almost like I would say Jonathan Taves light (laughs) would be how I would describe him. I, the Penguins would really like if he turns out to be Jonathan Taze Light. That would be a, a breath <laughs> of fresh air, and uh, he'd fill. He'd be a good uh, top six center. And my, uh, from what I've seen from him, great. I think one of the better shots amongst the centermen that were in this draft. He uh, a beautiful release, and uh, I, I liked the pick. And it seemed like Dubis really did like him. I, I, from everything, all the reports that came out even before the draft, it seemed like he favored Jaeger over a lot of these guys projected in that range. And we talk uh, about size, Luke. You know, it's it's you know, and I when I compare him to Jake Gensel, that's as much a a, a compliment as it is, you know, maybe a criticism because <gasps> look at how great Jake Gensel is, you know, for his size. So so you don't necessarily, uh, uh, God bless you. Uh, you don't necessarily, um, you know, lose anything by having a guy that size. Uh, you know, clearly, uh, Jaeger has you know a lot of talent, and I I think he could overcome his lack of size by being a very smart and gifted hockey player yeah let's now let's move forward like a couple days it's july 1st now free agency 
A lot of moves that were made. I'm going to ask you about a couple of them, but the headliner on July 1st was them re-signing Tristan Jari. Five years, I think it's 5.3 and some change million dollars. I was not a fan of the contract. I thought that there are better options out there, Um, but obviously Kyle Dubas had a better grasp of the market than I did. Um, what are your opinions on the re-signing? Do you think that there was a better option out there? And how do you feel about Tristan Jari being the Penguins goalie for the next five years? Well, it sure seems like a lot of people are down on him. You're right. Um, yeah. And I, I'm a little suspicious of that anytime because it's easy to be down on a goalie and uh, to kind of point your fingers at goalies in that way. Marc-Andre Fleury got a lot of criticism when he was in Pittsburgh. It's like the quarterback syndrome, uh, you know, with, in the NFL or in Pittsburgh especially. Um, I think I look at Jari's body of work, and we all know where it's lacking, you know, his playoff performances and then the tendency to be hurt at key times uh, in his career have really hurt his uh, image, I think, as a, as a goalie. But when I watch him play, when he's healthy, he wins games. Uh, his teammates seem to really uh, trust him. Uh, his coaches like him a lot. Uh, and I think other people around the league liked him too. I, I, I think that a lot of GMs would have had him rated very high among the free agents. So in that respect, I, I'm all for it. Uh, I understand why people are cynical about it, but my position is on Jari. I'm rooting for him in a big way. I'd love to see him really kind of prove a lot of people wrong because I think he has the talent to do that. And he has won enough games in the league that I believe that his teammates know that he's a guy who can help them win every night. And let's hope that is the case. At his best, I I don't think like my issue with this contract was never the skill. I think he always, uh, he's always had the skill. He's a two-time all-star and you don't, you know, back your way into being an all-star at, at the NHL level, it, it's just reliability. And we've seen that over the past two and a half years here where he hasn't been able to stay healthy. And that's always been my biggest concern with him. It's it's not a skill issue necessarily, but we even saw the second half of this year, he like even when he did play, he was playing injured. And that that came out, you know, locker clean out day, but it didn't take much to, to see that, that that was the issue. Um, but I think it was Elliot Friedman on Sportsnet uh, said something about on draft day that Boston did a late interview for Oliver Moore because they thought that they were going to trade up back into the middle of the first round. Um, and I had a theory that 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 may have been with with Kyle Dubas that was a trade and one of Olmark or Swayman. I had a I, I preferred Swayman, but uh, that was my theory because there was Allmark's name was thrown around a lot of like around draft time too. So, do you think that Jari was? Uh, this is just kind of like a, a like a like a shot in the dark here. But do you think that Jari was the always the plan, or do you think that there was just kind of he was the consolation? Like, oh, we weren't able to get this guy. We tried for you know Hellebuck's name was out there, Gibson's name was out there. We couldn't get those guys, so we ended up with Jari. No, because I think they would have had to give something up to get those other guys, and I don't know how that would have affected their overall roster and their salary cap situation and what they would have to do to get those players. That's that's the difference. With Jari, all they had to do was sign him. Yeah, and uh, I I think that they're so familiar with Jari, they know what they're getting. You know, I and and the, the the big thing with me with him was his health. Like I was concerned more about is he have a chronic injury? Is this going to keep cropping up? And you know, their medical staff 
had better know the answer to that question. I assume they do, right? right. Uh, so that was my biggest concern was just whether or not he would be healthy. But in terms of his caliber of, of play and what he could bring to the team, I think that those guys have a real good feel for that. I mean, if they don't, then we're, we're, we're overestimating their knowledge and, and skill as, uh, as management people. But I, I, I believe that they do know what they're doing, and I think that they are, are pretty confident for a reason that, that Jerry will do a good job here in Pittsburgh. And they like the fact that he absolutely feels completely dedicated and loyal uh, to the Penguins and, and wants to be in Pittsburgh and wants to be a Penguin. Now, that was about the headliner of the day, but I, I'd say right behind the, the Tristan Jari signing was the Ryan Graves signing. Six years, four and a half million, uh, former New Jersey Devil, former uh, Colorado Avalanche, left-handed defender. I uh, his The analytics like him. He uh, he's he's pretty good in his defensive zone, according to the uh, the analytics, at least. What is your take on that deal, like the length of it and also the player? Well, he seems like a, a really, you know, a player that's pretty durable, plays a lot of games, uh, has played with high caliber players, played with Kale McCarr as a partner, uh, played in a system not unlike the Penguins, with a lot of fast players and they play fast. So. Obviously, he should be able to fit into the Penguin scheme of things. Um, I like his range. Uh, I don't know how much offense he'll bring. I think he'll be similar to Dumoulin in that respect. He's just a younger uh, Brian Dumoulin and maybe a little bit more stout defensively. That's hard to say because Dumoulin was pretty darn good there for a while in that category. Um, so I'll be interested to see how he fits in. But, you know, a lot of people wanted the Penguins to get him. Uh, and I – to be fair, Luke, haven't really focused on him much as a player. Uh, I don't. I know he, he's a big guy who doesn't play a real physical game. So what I'm concerned about is just whether or not he'll be a guy who's going to clear the front of the net and, and be a physical presence around the Penguins' goal because I think that's really important. One of the reasons I think Penguin goalies have had issues is because I do think they get run over a lot, and I think they get uh, physically intimidated sometimes uh, in hockey games and uh, it's up for the defenseman to uh, to be able to take care of that. And hopefully Ryan Graves is a guy who can help in that regard. I don't know, though. Uh, as for his deal, I mean, it's a standard, you know, kind of a deal that's going to take him uh, into his, what, early 30s. Uh, so I don't, I'm not worried about that. I think he'll still be, you know, a, a very serviceable player four years from now. Uh, and so that isn't a problem. I, I think it's probably a good signing. I mean, just from all indications, the Penguins got something they needed. They needed a left-handed defenseman who could play in a top pair uh, and, and who's had experience playing with great players. Yeah, and, and to go off of that, if you look at the teams he was on, uh, the, New, the New Jersey Devils the past two years, they've other than, uh, well, especially last year, they were fantastic uh, in their own end without like the most talented goalie. You know, they went from Vanacek to Schmid, uh, a couple other guys came up and down. And then you go to the two years prior and he was in Colorado. That team was outstanding defensively. Not saying he was the star of it all, but he was ve very much a reliable aspect of those teams. And I wrote an article uh, actually before the Penguins signed him about how Dubas should look at him and for those exact same reasons, because he can clear out the net and he's uh, very responsible defensively. And I described him myself as a younger Dumoulin. And I think that that's a perfect comparison. And I think he's going to slot in perfectly there. And uh, personally, a big fan of that signing. A couple other way, uh, Luke, another thing is you mentioned the two teams, two teams that play a very high octane style of hockey. 
Absolutely. You know, which the Penguins have always wanted to play, right? So mm-hmm. he should be able to fit in with the great forwards that the Penguins have. He was able to do it in Colorado and New Jersey. Another former Avalanche, the two former uh, Avalanches, uh, Avalanche that the Penguins signed, uh, center Lars Eller, forward Matt Nieto, uh, all July 1st signings, as well as goaltender Alex Nedeljkovic. Uh, they've also signed uh, some depth guys, uh, Vinny Henestroza, Andreas Janssen, who has uh, history with Dubas in Toronto. Just some depth signings. Um, I, I was looking more for Dubas to go after some bottom six guys with some more offensive upside. I think he definitely went a little more conservative on that end. Eller, Nieto are good, solid, I think, defensive you know, bottom bottom six guys who could probably play, play some PK minutes, but there's not a ton of offensive octane that he was able to get for that uh, part of the lineup. What are your thoughts on those uh, depth signings that he made? Well, I know what you're talking about, about secondary scoring. Uh, you'd like to get that. You, you, you especially need that at playoff time. Sometimes players who don't score during the regular season find a way to score goals when the playoffs start. So That's hopefully right. the Penguins have a couple of guys like that, and in uh, a guy like Matt Nieto and and in uh, Achari, and also even Lars Eller. So you, you got to hope that they maybe elevate their games in the playoffs, which you know uh, it can can be uh, something you really don't know until you get there, right? So we'll mm-hmm. see what happens. Um, I like those signings because they address the one issue the Penguins have had, and that is defense. I mean, they they've got to be harder to play against. Uh, they have the firepower uh, to win games, and they have, I think, the goaltender, and they need to be able to kill penalties and defend. The Penguins uh, last year when they were on a run uh, had great special teams, great goaltending, and star power. That was how they were winning games. And those are the ingredients I think that they're trying to emphasize. They want to make sure they kill penalties. They want their stars to be able to be stars and score goals, and they've got to get their power play going. Uh and, and have it be one of the best power plays in the NHL. If they can do that, they're going to win a lot of games. And I, you know, obviously we talked about Jari. He's got to be good. So in that, uh, it, looking at it from that perspective, I think the Penguins have attacked the very issues that they had at the en- end of last season. You remember they couldn't protect leads. Uh, they actually had a lot of leads. If you look at it from that standpoint, uh, they were leading in a lot of games, but that they didn't win. And if they would have been able to protect those leads, they would have most definitely made the playoffs. So that was really up to their secondary players or their role players, and they didn't get it done. So hopefully they'll uh, improve in that area, and I think they will with the players they acquired. Lars Eller was really amazed, Luke, at, at uh, how well-spoken he is. You know, he's a, he's from Denmark. Uh, he is he almost sounds like a scholar, like when you're when you hear him being interviewed. He, he absolutely sounds like a guy who could be in management uh, you know, when his playing days are over. I was really impressed with the way he conducted himself in that interview they set up for the Penguins media. And uh, I, I've heard that he is a high-character player. So I, I believe the Penguins got themselves a, a guy who's going to also make a difference in that room and give them an even greater feeling of confidence and swagger that they didn't have last year. Yeah, and and you were mentioning how the the depth guys were uh, sometimes don't score in the regular season, but score big goals in the playoffs. I remember on that in that cup run that he was with with uh, Washington, he was one of those guys that didn't put up big numbers in the regular season, but he was a great performer for them come playoff time. And um, yeah, I completely agree. And thanks for mentioning Achari. I forgot to mention him. I really like that signing. I think he played well uh, on that and on the 
you know, playoff run a little bit with uh, Toronto, but he's a great player. I think he is a lot of what the Penguins needed. I was a big fan of that signing as well. Um, the one and thing by the I way, did- Luke, uh, my friend of mine who saw him play a lot of games in St. Louis said he's like Kunitz, which is a nice comparison. Uh, he didn't score like Chris Kunitz scored, but then Chris played with Sidney Crosby and got an opportunity to play with Gino also on a regular basis. So that might have been a difference, but uh, you certainly like it anytime somebody compares a player to Chris Kunitz. Yeah, that that's a great comp. Honestly, that's that's fantastic. Um, I, I I've spent I've taken a lot of your time. I, I don't want, I don't want to take too much more of it. But um, the one thing I didn't understand come free agency, and maybe you can shed some light on this, was the signing of Alex Nedeljkovic. I understand the need for three NHL goalies now, NHL caliber goaltenders. Um, he's still a young, pretty young. He's twenty seven. He uh, was a Calder finalist, I believe, in his uh, rookie season. But how do you think this is all going to shape up, uh, shake up here? Is is Nedeljkovic going to be the third guy? Is he going to be the backup? Are they going to hold on to all three? What, what do you think is going on here? Mm, that's a good question. You know, Casey DeSmith has only one year left on his deal. Um, I think they just want to have as much goaltending depth as they can possibly have in their organization right now. I think they got burned uh, a couple years ago when they didn't have enough uh, – in fact, in the last few years, I, I think it's been one of those dicey situations where you didn't feel like there was another option uh, when, when Jari went down. So I think it's more of a almost like an insurance policy than anything else. How they handle it in terms of where Nadelkovich plays, if he's up here and you go with a three-goalie situation or just exactly what they're going to do, because they got Magnus Helberg, too, who's got experience, big tall goalie, who will mm-hmm. play in Wilkes-Barre. So – that is a question yet to be answered. Uh, I know that Mike Vellucci had Nadelkovich in Charlotte with the Checkers, and he has very high praise for him. He did have a stretch there um, in his career for a little bit where he just played out of his mind in Carolina. So maybe they believe there's some still potential there for him to play at a higher level if they get a hold of him and, and let uh, Andy Kyoto work with him. Um that is going to be a nice project for the Penguins, and I'll be curious to see how it all shakes out. And that's all I have for you, Stag. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your Monday afternoon, morning to come on with me. Um, and also, I want to thank you for uh, you know, like mentoring me and uh, you know everything that you've helped me with along the way. Uh, and this in- in- interning with-, with you guys at Penguins Radio, I had a great time. And uh, I've always, uh, like I said uh, in my introduction, like you were the voice of hockey for me growing up. So it was great to get to know you, and uh, you've you've really helped me along the way. And I really hope I get to work with you guys again soon. And because uh, you've you've been great to me, so I really appreciate you taking the time and everything you've done for me, Stag. Happy to help, Luke, and always uh, enjoy talking hockey with you, and I'm looking forward to seeing how far you go in your career. I think you're going to do well. I appreciate it, Stag. Have a good one. Take care. And there it is. That was me and Paul Steigerwald talking hockey for solid 40 minutes. Uh, again, can't say it enough. Thank you again for, to Stag for coming on. It was a great conversation we had. Uh, you know, alleviated some of my uh, anxieties about fitting in Eric Carlson, and uh, just it's great to get the insight on uh, everything that he that he's thinking because he uh, he's one of the brightest hockey minds like I mentioned in the city, and you know has opinions. So I wanted uh, to delve into everything that's happened and see where he is with uh, the the changes that have happened this past off season. Um, that'll be all. 
I don't have much more to add to this and I don't want to lengthen something that doesn't need to be lengthened. So that's going to be it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Penscast. You can follow us on Twitter at pens underscore cast, or you can follow my personal Twitter at Lucas Wester. Same thing for Instagram. Uh, you can follow at pens underscore cast on Instagram, or if you want to follow my personal Instagram, by all means, at Lucas Wester. I love when people send me memes. Please send me memes. Um, that'll be it. So thank you so much for listening. I had a great time doing this episode. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do another episode next week because I'm not sure if there's going to be enough news uh, to talk about, but maybe I'll have someone else on and we can uh, keep this going because I love getting people's perspective on the offseason because this is one of the most monumental offseasons in recent memory for the Penguins. It's the start of a new era. It's refreshing, to use Stag's words. Uh, Kyle Dubas has you know, got a new breath of fresh air in the uh, at PPG Paints Arena. He's... It's, it's different, you know. The bad guy's gone in Hextall. It's bad guy's gone. We got this new young guy who's leading the ship now, and um, it seems like there's a lot of optimism around the organization. I, Stag seems to think that way, and I agree. So, leaving that there, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you in the next week or two. We'll see. You.